Thought Leadership Studio. You're listening to Thought Leadership Studio, the podcast that helps you master high-level positive mass influence to create distinctive business niches, captivate an audience, grow your following, and change the game by changing the frame with strategic thought leadership. Thought Leadership Studio. Welcome back to Thought Leadership Studio. I'm your host, Chris McNeil, and this is episode 59. Are your cows lying down? David Nordell on what leaders need to notice. Author and leadership consultant David Nordell discusses his new book and why and how to notice signs of potential leadership failure early. What this episode will do for you is help you recognize subtle signs of change. Learn from David's approach on how leaders can proactively notice and respond to early signs of change in their environment. Empathy in leadership. Discover the importance of deep empathy as opposed to relying on prepackaged generic leadership advice. Slowing down to go faster. Understand David's principle of slowing down to go faster in leadership, focusing on quality interactions and thoughtful decision making. Build a life team by gaining insights into the concept of building such a team for personal and professional support, understanding the value of collective wisdom and shared experiences. The Max Fab Mindset. Explore the Max Fab Maximum Fabulous Mindset for maintaining a positive attitude and resilience through challenges. And Storytelling for Impact. Learn the power of storytelling and communication and leadership drawing on David's experiences and narrative techniques. But before we dive more deeply into this episode, in case you're new here, consider that I created the Thought Leadership Studio podcast to help listeners improve their thought leadership skills. So whether or not you consider yourself a thought leader at this point, Consider that I've come to the conclusion that the practice of strategic thought leadership is now fundamental to effective marketing and helpful in any area of positive influence. It's about leading an audience to embrace a unique perspective that gives them more value. So this podcast is designed to provide an accelerated training process. So I suggest to listener that it's worthwhile to listen repeated times, whether this is an episode with an interview with a model of excellence or a deep dive into a particular aspect of strategic thought leadership. In any case, make sure you also go to the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com. It is linked to in the episode description if you're listening on an app where we'll have links to other resources, including the free marketer's guide to strategic thought leadership free download to help you with the building blocks of your own strategic thought leadership. In this episode, I have my second interview with the inspiring Dave Nordell, the founder of Max Fab Consulting, this time discussing his approach to getting leaders to proactively notice signs of change and his new book, When the Cows Lie Down. 
Nordell emphasizes the importance of empathy, human connection, and slowing down to go faster in leadership. He believes leadership is a hard skill that directly affects the quality and safety of a product and service. He also introduces the concept of MaxFab, which stands for Maximum Fabulous, and how it relates to maintaining a positive attitude and pushing through challenges. He encourages listeners to evaluate their boundaries, choose their life team wisely, and practice active listening. Dave's a great guy. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So without further ado, let's jump right into the interview. Thought Leadership Studio. So I'm your host, Chris McNeil with Thought Leadership Studio, and I'm sitting here across a couple time zones with Dave Nordell, who was here a year ago talking about his book, Giving Back, and now he's got a new book, When the Cows Lie Down, uh, he's the founder of Max Fab Consulting, just great overall value-centered leader. Great to have you back, Dave. Hey, Chris, thanks. Yeah, um, for the for the listeners... Chris and I probably did have to show just before we hit the, the record button. So we are going to probably recreate that, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> I, you know, I really, I appreciate you, Chris. Uh, one, consuming the stuff I've written, uh, giving some feedback and then, and then telling me kind of a chapter or two that you hone in on because uh, what you do globally for people uh, helps kind of guide me on how I take my approach with folks. Cause I think, uh, with with you and I, some of it it's group think because we're passionate about the same things. But our our um, our way that we weave our way through it and the and the avenues that we run in are are different enough that uh, you're a big help to me. So this is great. The show's great. What you're doing's great. So onward, right? I appreciate you very much. And your books are inspiring to me. And I, I had some notes of things I wanted to bring up. It they inspired me to ask. Sure. And and we'll get to those, but uh, that little conversation we had before hitting the record button about how it seems like there might be a generation or two that, that has been fed prepackaged leadership advice and forgot about the deep empathy that really comes from. Right, right. So I think there's a couple things. I will you know continue kind of where we left off and get back to it. I think there's a couple things there, and I and I like that, that prepackaged leadership. I think pre-COVID, our whole society was prepackaged, like I like I explained, you know, um, a cup of coffee and an egg McMuffin and off to work. And that is so comfortable and has no fear and pain involved with it. You know the outcome, you know where you're going and you're on to the next thing, your, your hunger and your need for coffee is satisfied, and you're off to work in your next set of challenges. And you would like everything to be scripted that way. And I think in a lot of ways, when we stepped away from deliberately developing people, because we have, when we started to call those soft skills, which which directly shaved off growth and development of people in our in our in our sphere of influence, shaved it off from being attached directly to whatever our product is. That can be manufacturing, it can be healthcare, whatever you want it to be. We had a product, and that was always in line, perfectly in line, 
with development of the next generation, next person up. Knowledge is power only when shared, as I write, right? Passing on those things. We shaved that off and called it soft because it costs money. And as we started to do the money equation, we shaved off this, this leadership piece and called it soft, um, um, soft skills and soft needs. And then when we did, we ran our big gonculator on the bottom line, we said, well, we're probably gonna sacrifice this at the, at the expense of, of the product line. Well, now we're starting to pay the price for that, I think, because now you have people that, you know, what are the numbers? I preach them all the time. You start leading a human, another human being at the age of 30, maybe the second most responsible thing you do, most uh, uh, critical thing you do in your life, short of raising children. At 39, you get a job where you're leading people, leading people, and at 42, somebody decides you need your first formal leadership development. That just seems inverse to me. And so as we're working through this, we got to push this back. We got to push this back to understanding that leadership, empathy, caring, human connection, slowing down to go faster, which means spending time with people is actually a hard skill. And it actually does directly affect quality, safety, the, pro the quality of uh, um, your consumer's perception of your product and your reputation. Absolutely. And you know, slowing down to speed up is a principle I know well uh, from guitar. And I, I like to play fast. I'm a child of the 80s in some ways, although I'm uh, or originate in the 60s. But I grew up during the Shredder era, Eddie Van Halen and so forth. And I could play fast, but not clean until I worked with a guy who's a really adept jazz guitar. So he's like, you got to slow down to speed up. You got to train your motor movements consciously and, and go super slow. Then you clean up all that extraneous, wasted lack of economy of motion where your fingers are just flailing and then gradually bring the speed in from that. And that was an important lesson. I love it. But was it easy? Of course not. But that was well, the satisfying part. That, well, exactly. So this is the... This is the dynamic that we have to change because we're always, we're all, and, you know, this is human nature. Not, this is not throwing rocks at people or saying that they're weak or they can't do things. Human nature is just like water. I call water the most boring thing in the world because it takes the path of least resistance and it never gets to do the hard stuff, right? Water doesn't run uphill. Um, so what we've got to get people to understand is there is a lot of things in life and leadership that are that look painful, that sound difficult, and that we're scared to death to wade into that unknown unknown space. That Jahari's window thing. That if you're if you're operating in the unknown unknown, you're continuously growing, right, and growing and growing and growing. And so you have to have uh, you have to have a life team, a professional life team that can help you do those things. You're one of those people. You know, you're a you're you're a uh, treasure. Right. You're, because of your calling and your experience and, and where you've decided to put your effort and energy at this time in your life, that makes you a treasure. Because when people attach on to you, what they're saying is, Chris, I really want to do these things, but I'm scared to death. And you say, it's okay. This path has been navigated before. You may not know it. It may look really scary out there, but here's how you walk through it. And oh, by the way, when it does get scary and a little dark, come and talk to me because I can shed some light on some things, or I know somebody that can shed some light on things. So, 
you know, for people out there that, that are watching, that are watching us have this conversation, I think they're talking to two people that have wallowed around in this fearful place over and over and over again. Yeah. Some in our some in our professional lives playing guitar, and some in our or in our personal lives playing guitar, and some in our professional lives where somebody said, "Here's your next job," and just because I was good at the job I was in, I didn't know if I was qualified or can handle the next one. And I had to have a team, you know, I had to have that support team around me. And quite frankly, part of my mission, especially, you know, with veterans, but even just leaders, you know, as a whole, part of my mission now is to give back all the nuggets. And and a lot of that comes with scars, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you're doing a great job of that. And I love your, what, what I perceive is your storytelling with embedded lessons. Mm -hmm. So that by remembering the story, you remember the lesson, the way you write a chapter, mm -hmm. it's the mm -hmm. story first. And mm -hmm. then here's what you should get out of it. So you kind of have something for the subconscious mind and the conscious mind, right. Some, something to hold on to, vivid imagery that brings it all to life. And where did that come from? Did you learn storytelling somewhere in particular? I, I, I'll tell you, I don't think you can do, I think it was refined probably over the, my military career, right? For 30 years. And because like I always tell people, you know, we like to thank veterans for their service. And I always tell people, don't do that anymore. Ask them their story. Now you go grab somebody that served for a long amount of time in the military and you say, hey, tell me your story. It always starts off with, I grew up in, they tell you right where they started. Mm -hmm. Because we, you have to almost perfect a way of telling a story. So. For instance, I went to basic training November 30th of 1984 in San Antonio, Texas. But part of that story is it's the one time in the last who knows how long that it snowed in San Antonio while I was down there. I mean, measurable snow in San Antonio. Wow, sure. and, and, when I, and when I say that to somebody, they go, oh, I was either there or I remember when that happened. And you build a connection, right? Because now you, now you have a space and time. Where were you during 9-11? If you were alive, where were you when Kennedy was shot? Where were you when the space shuttle blew up? Where were you when they bombed Pearl Harbor? Those type of things. And so you learn that storytelling piece. And what I've found is, uh, there's two types of people, by the way. There's people that absolutely hate storytellers because they're just so concise that they don't want to go into the longer version of it. But what I've found is, is that through your life experience and telling a story, you can almost relate to anybody else on the planet. Not doesn't matter where they're from, what their backgrounds are, race, creed, color, religion, all that stuff is transcended with a story. And I guess the best example is, is you know, I grew up on a farm in a dairy environment. And the first book, well, both books are in the, the cows lying down is a whole farmer thing about, about seeing the subtleties in your organization and your life that are warning signs of, of, of impending things that you can manage. I don't know how many people I've had write me and say, I know nothing about farming and I didn't grow up on a farm, but let me tell you how your story directly relates to suburbia, uh, uh, urban living, um, growing up on the block in Philadelphia. It's not different. It's just that your cows and tractors are my store owners and, and you know, uh, neighborhood friends or whatever it is. Right. And so I think it's really it's it's really powerful because you once you can make people draw back to their own experiences and see things, sometimes the answers are within them. Well, they are, and that that, that reminds me of 
you know, through my work in NLP and studying uh, mythic patterns to storytelling, like Joseph Campbell teaches with the pattern of the hero's journey is these external stories about overcoming adversity and finding inner growth in that and bringing back that inner growth to share it with others is a common theme because it matches the pattern of the growth of the inner soul or inner person or inner being. Right. And when we get going a thousand miles an hour, it's, it's counter, it's counter to what you just described. Yeah. You just blow, you blow by it. This is the cows lying down. This is, you can't. So being from Montana, here's a great, a great way to put it. Montana is the fourth largest state in the nation. We have 1.2 million people and we have 4.4 million cattle. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, and there's, if you, if you divide it up per person, we get our own 27 acres. Every person gets 27 acres. That's how big Montana is. Wow. When people visit Montana, it's beautiful. It's, you know, it's got, a, it's got a little bit of everything in it. When people visit Montana, they'll always tell me, oh, your state's so beautiful. And I'll say, well, which way did you travel? Which way did you come? People that drove fast do not have the same experience in Montana than people that drove slow. Because people that drove fast saw mountains, they saw open prairies, and they might have seen an antelope or two. People that drove slow saw streams and rivers and crops and, uh, you know, uh, bald eagles and those type of things. And I can tell just by how they describe what they've seen and what they've experienced, how they travel through the state. Well, I think life's a lot like that. We think we've experienced stuff or we've gathered up some things, but we don't even know what we've run by. Um, so how do you recognize that? Or how do you get someone to recognize that they're speeding through life, like going to see the symphony just for the last note, the big crescendo at the end, so instead of right. enjoying the music and how right. it unfolds? Right. I think I... I I'm such a firm believer, you know, because after my travels with PTSD and, and moral injury and, and really rough struggle, I mean, a really, really shaping time in my life and having to figure it out. One thing that I've learned about this, uh, and I hope that I get this right in the book, because I really need to emphasize it to people is life was not meant to be traveled by yourself. It was not this. I'm going to use a word and, and it's overused and I try to stay away from it. But some people want to define resilience as this ability for an individual to take care of everything. And I, and I think directly the opposite. Resilience is the ability to have higher enough thinking to understand that you cannot navigate it by yourself and that you build a life team with the right, you hire and fire people off, on and off of your life team to help you through what life is going to put in front of us. Because there is no such thing as as um, nirvana. I mean, you'd say, well, you hear people say all the time, well, if I can just get to Friday, if I can get to the end of the month, you know, I got one more year left. Uh, all of these things, all these short-term goals that are based on our 12-month calendar. There used to be a 10-month calendar, by the way. The, I don't know why that happened. Wow. You know, so it's, it's all based on a on a 12-month calendar. And if I can just get to September or it's tax day or what, whatever shapes us, we put in all these false little milestones that we consider accomplishments and they're really just survivalistic attitudes. Instead of setting real tangible goals, understanding the speed limit that it takes to get there and having the people around you to hold you to that speed limit, your, your policemen in life that hold you to that uh, um, speed limit and you give them permission to write you a ticket. 
I think that's the only way. There's no, there is no magic way for one individual to regulate themselves. You have to have people in your life to do that. Hopefully, you know, if you're married, you've been married for a while and you're in love with your spouse, that person watches out for you. That's a person, but uh, there's many others. So that's important. And it's easy to miss. And how do you help people? And obviously you're a part of this team, maybe remotely, maybe never having met a lot of people you mentor through your writing. Sure. Uh, but how do you help people select this team in their life? This so-called, and I guess in some cases, like the solopreneur movement has brought up the need for the equivalent of a board of directors, but sometimes that can be a mastermind group or an informal mastermind group of people you just trust and, and confer with. But how do you help people make those kinds of decisions to bring that in or to allow it in? So not my original thought, but I hear it and I think it really applies. So your network is your net worth. Knowledge is power only when shared. So when someone comes into my life, normally if they have a life situation, one of three things will happen. I've lived it, so I can give some great solid advice straight out the door, right, right on the spot on how to manage that and then do the follow-up that goes along with it. I know somebody that's lived it intimately and they're willing to be on a life team and that's a referral thing, right? And you manage that. That's probably a three-way thing. Or there's two types of smart people, right? Ones that know everything and ones that know where to look everything up. And so if you're well-read enough and you understand where there's, where there's places where you can go to consume something that may help refocus you, then that's, then that's a, a separate type of referral. So it's really those three. Most people that come to me, Chris, have either heard me speak or read something and, and they say, you know, I want more of this. I want to dig deeper into it. You know, I want, I want more nuggets, right? I want to, I want to have those relationships. And ironically, it's probably about 60, 40, female, 60, male, 40. And we talked about age groups, right? And so the age group that probably gloms on to me the most glom is a bad word but i like that you know the gloms <laughs> on to me is um is the uh the geriatric millennials that are turning 41 and 42 now i guess so you got to kind of keep up with that into their late 30s and what i find in there is there's two there's a couple of things that i am not qualified to talk to one is i'll never be a woman so women's challenges in their careers, when it becomes, when they're struggling with what they might feel is a glass ceiling or some sort of inequality or, in, or inequity, I should say. Uh, I have people in my world that I send them to because they've dealt with the same thing. They're female and they can have those conversations. So that's a, a referral piece. And then out of that group, what I find is, is a need for, clarity and bluntness i see a huge absence with this with this um uh candor i i was raised in the military in my young years by vietnam veterans mm -hmm. there was there was no issue with candor right right and i understood candor and i and i immediately found out that candor was a form of love and not uh something to go home and lose sleep over right get your feelings hurt right but it's pain. That's tough love, right? It's sure. tough love. 
and I find that that generation wants that candor. And, and you know, I'm full of that because it's the way I was raised. And, and quite frankly, if you take if you're leading people in combat, you don't have a lot of room for ambiguity. So you need to be candorous. It doesn't work with everybody. It doesn't work with everybody. But this generation, they really love that whole, you know, here's what I'm seeing, here's what I think. And they're and, and all nine times it's in, they look at you and they say, I knew that. I know you're right. I just needed to hear it. Chris, that's free. That's not even an HR policy or a process. That's sure. just free, right? Yeah. That's fascinating. And um, okay, here's a fascination of mine. The state of consciousness that you call MaxFab. Mm -hmm. Can you, for our listeners, share uh, a story that demonstrates the epitome of MaxFab? Do you want the story? You want the yeah. You want the you want the the, uh, the Reader's Digest version of the keynote? Please. Okay, so if you're looking behind me, you see the flag, right? Yeah. And yeah. the bottom of the flag says "Maximum Fabulous" on it. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll, I'll reverse engineer the story. That flag is the flag that flew over the trauma center in Iraq that I led as a senior enlisted leader for all medical operations in the whole country of Iraq in 2008 during the surge. When I first got there, I knew that the that I was getting 235 people to lead to do trauma medicine. Everything from neurosurgeons to nurses to administrative people, which are, are administrative is such a poor way to describe them. Uh, you know, physical therapists, pulmonary people, all, every, the whole thing is a trauma center, just like in the States. And how do you lead people in that environment and get them home happy, healthy, and you know emotionally, physically, and spiritually? How do you get them in, back into that environment? And I only came taking on the fear and pain thing and understanding that. I came up with two things, shared pain and attitude. And the, the, the shared pain thing came down to push-ups. I hate push-ups. I hate them more than I think in the world. So I did a lot of push-ups while I was there. And I told people, I hate doing these, so let's do them together. Mm -hmm. uh, and we did a lot of push-ups together and we shared pain. And magically, I wanted to get an organizational attitude built, right? That was a rallying cry in the hard times. Not Max Fab has nothing to do with happiness, right? Max Fab has everything to do with what you're telling yourself when it's really hard. Mm -hmm. And so when we finished doing push-ups, they'd look at me and they'd say, Chief, how are you doing today? Totally innocuous question. You and I said it right when we came on here. How are you doing? And, and it's very ritualistic and it's good or I'm okay or whatever it is. And a lot of times we brush over it. And we don't even, when somebody says, eh, I'm okay. We just brush right by that and say, okay. And you just keep on going where that probably needs a little more exploration. Mm -hmm. But when they asked me how I was doing, I'd say, I am maximum fabulous. And when I first started doing that, people would laugh. They're like, what are you talking about? And I said, listen. It's the highest of the hierarchy on the attitudinal scale. Attitude is the one thing that we control every second of our lives until the day we die. And I don't care how bad it gets around here. We've always got to be working towards max fab because if we do, we will stay mentally, physically, and emotionally sound. And it's everybody's responsibility to make sure that the person next to them is maximum fabulous. Are we going to get there every day? No. Are we going to have days where we fall away? Sure. Yes. But in the morning when you wake up and you understand that that's the goal and you keep striving towards that, you keep yourself checked. You got guardrails on emotionally, physically, and mentally. You have guardrails on to help you work through these really difficult times like combat trauma medicine, which is really tough. It is a, it's a, it's a thing. That, 
it's the unnatural and unspeakable walks into your life every five minutes there if the right things are going on on a battlefield and it's tough and so is there any validity to it well i'll give it i'll give it to you this way chris after the tour was over they took that flag down off the top of the hospital they had been flying up there that that flag is the geneva convention red cross red crescent flag that has to be flown over every medical facility in Martin. it says don't bomb us mm -hmm. even though we got bombed like three times while it's there mm -hmm. um that flag it's still got i haven't done anything with it other than then hang it up. I goes when I speak, I take it with me sometimes to show it. But but uh the institution made a flag out of maximum fabulous. Think about what flags represent. When people form as a group around a, a, a passion, be it a country, a company, a football team, one of the first things they do, they make a flag, a song, and an anthem. Right. This is a flag. Why is it a flag? It has nothing to do with Dave Nordell and any brilliance. It has the fact to do with they believed in maximum fabulous because when they started working on their attitude every single day and keeping a good attitude, no matter what was going on in their life, keeping the guardrails on to keep them emotionally, physically, and mentally stable, maximum fabulous became the rallying cry to that. And so it's uh, it's the name of the company. Uh, it's what I just gave you is the is you know a portion of the keynote. I will tell you that part of that keynote is about foundation. You know, my day started off. I had somebody I gave that the keynote the other day, and and somebody wrote me and said I I've, I've changed my morning routine because you said that you needed to start off with foundation. We had a chaplain's office in the trauma center. You can imagine it was they were there twenty four hours seven days a week because you can imagine the, the need for that. And I would go in that office and I would get on my knees every day and have somebody say, pray, pray on me, pray on me to be maximum fabulous, pray on me to lead well, pray on me to, to do those things. And the magic of it, Chris, was one day there, there were three rabbis in the whole Department of Defense and we actually had one there while I was there. Mm -hmm. One day a rabbi be praying on me, the next day as a priest, the next day as a Christian, you know, minister, it was all different denominations. The words were the same, Chris. They were the same words. And so what can you do in two words or less that bring people together no matter who they are, where they're from, what their cultural backgrounds are? And the one thing that we all have, no matter what we look like or what our value sets are or where we grew up on the farm or in urban world, the one thing that we all have in common is our attitude. And if we collectively work on that, Tell you one thing, Maximum Fabulous does, it slows you down naturally. Yeah. Because it makes you be introspective and you go, Am I being Maximum Fabulous right now? And am I working towards that? And that is enough of a pause to get you to slow down where you can see the you can see the the things that you need to see. The cows, right? You can see the cows lying down. So yeah. Well, it's something to calibrate to. And it speaks to me and gives me an image that reminds me of the stoic philosophy of you can't control what happens outside of you, but you can control your response to it. You can create the optimum inner environment. And also it speaks to me of a value I really admire in you, and that's bringing people together without boundaries. 
It comes across really clearly in your writing, it comes across in your interviews. And I think that's a very powerful unifying value system that the world needs more of right now. Well, I appreciate that. I will tell you, I did not get there. There's a chapter in my first book that I'm sure that you remember reading mm -hmm. about, about you don't know what you don't know. So you need to, you need to go find out. It's the 20, that's the other key note, right? That's the 25 yard gap. And, you know, a military barracks is 25 yards long. Day four of basic training, my, my training instructor said, you're going to be a student leader, which was absolutely miserable because here I am trying to survive basic training. And now he's driven a wedge through, he's driven a wedge between me and him. And he's driven a wedge between me and everybody else that's going through training. Cause now I'm this, this middle piece, right? If you understand anatomy, I'm like the meniscus in the knee, right? The squishy piece. And, and the guy at the other end of that 25 yards of distance between me and the first bed and him and the last bed was named Bradley. And Bradley was from inner city Philadelphia. He didn't look like me. He didn't grow up like me. Oh, we didn't even speak the same language. And because I took who I was from the farm and interacted with him initially, I started to find out there is a lot that you don't know. And it's our individual responsibility to put ourselves in uncomfortable positions and ask the right questions to know. One of the most, some of the most magical conversations I've had, Chris, are with people of the LGBT community. There's nothing in me that's LGBTQ. I just, I, that's not me, right? There's, I can't identify with any of those things in there. When I run into people that, that I respect and work with that are in the LGBT community, I sometimes end up in two or three hour conversations where I just say, I want to know everything. I want to know from when you were born, when you knew, how your life is, the struggles you've had. I want to know all of it. And they share it. It's deep stuff. And all I know is, is that I'm not qualified to talk on it, but I'm certainly qualified to lead people from that environment. I'm certainly qualified to demonstrate a level of empathy that lets me at least create an environment for them where they feel uh, comfortable enough to thrive and they don't, they're not tiptoeing around and, and to be able to ask the right questions and have enough trust where they can come to me with concerns. I think that, I think that every human on the face of the planet deserves that same consideration. Doesn't matter if you agree with it or not, it, that, but that is the core of leadership. That's right. You don't have to agree with someone's beliefs to have shared values and Correct. to have shared humanity. That's powerful. And, and is Max Fab also kind of the the engine or the fuel for the engine that gets you out of the comfort zone? It gives you that bubble where you maintain the right state of consciousness to go into challenges, to, to get out of the known into the unknown. Right. Right. Yeah. So so your attitude can get bad when we face adversity, right? When you start to feel sorry for yourself. Sure. Max Fab yanks you back out of that and puts you back in into the productive mindset versus the the counterproductive attitude. So if you keep the good attitude, you remain productive and forward moving. So if you look, beyond, I I started a podcast. I'm going to have you on, by the way. Awesome. Um, and the podcast is a kangaroo leadership podcast. Yeah, I've noted it. And, and and the reason that I picked it, and you can see the picture behind me, which everybody goes, "What's with the kangaroo?" <laughs> Kangaroos physically can only move forward. They can't go backwards. So the traits of the kangaroo have to be completely different because they don't have an option to retreat. 
but they do have an option to stand still and think. Mm -hmm. And then they can plan and then they can build, they can build empathy and they can build strategy and they can, they can be, you know, uh, a more macro by taking in their environment and figuring out which direction to move forward, how quickly to do that, what the dangers are and have a plan for how to navigate those. Is that the core message of when the cows lie down to, to pause and take things in and reflect? To, to go the speed limit that you need to, to first be able to see the cows lying down. And then when the cows are lying down, the, the, the figurative cows are lying down and on the farm when the cows are lying down, you should probably check the weather because that's a, that's a whole barometric phenomenon that I believe in. Other people have tried to dispute. I don't know. I, all I know is when all the cows are lying down around a little stick tree, it gets bad. <laughs> so, uh -huh. and it, you can almost, you can, I mean, it just, it's, it's, it's almost a for sure. Well, I've seen scientific studies that demonstrate animals odd behavior just before an earthquake that nobody, yeah. no scientists all coming. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't discredit any of that. So you have to be able to, you have to be able to regular, regulate yourself so that you can notice the cows lying down. And then when the cows lie down, you have to give yourself permission to consume that so that you can actually say, why is that happening, right? You do this and I do this. You've walked into, you know, in your consulting business, you've walked into a pile of institutions, right? And you got to walk through the hallways to get somewhere, right? To get to a conference room and an executive's office or those type of things. And through your observance, you already have a pretty good feel by the time you've traveled from the front door to the office or wherever you're going. Two or three people that you interact with, the first person that tells you how to get where you're going, the second person that maybe, you know, tells you how to get to the, you know, to the office or whatever. Those couple of people, you already have an impression of vibrancy, staleness, groupthink, caring of the, you know, um, uh, environmental caring, which, you know, the, the, just the environment. I'm not talking, messy desks and all that mean something, but just the, just the environment, you know, how does it smell? How does it look? Well, the people dressed, all those kind of things. You take all of that in because, and, and so institutions that have learned how to slow down, read how the cows are lying down and make those subtle adjustments that some people don't even notice. Sometimes it's just, sometimes it's, it's a newsletter. Sometimes it's a email. Sometimes it's a, it's a um, clear my schedule because I need to go do this, which is, we talked a little bit about this, those touch points where you need, especially as a senior leader, where you need to maintain tactical awareness. Now we're going to pause right there. Tactical awareness. Not tactical control. I'm not talking about micromanaging. I'm not talking about running to the bottom of your organization and trying to figure out why screws should be, you know, standard head versus Phillips head. I, it's not what I'm talking about. Okay. Right. Well, what I'm talking about is to be tactically aware, because if you're really astute as a leader and you can slow down enough, you'll see your, you'll see the the figurative cows lying down, because if you talk to somebody in I like to use automotive manufacturing because it's easier because everything's in a straight line for people to imagine. Sure. If you talk to somebody in the frame shop, right, that that is is managing the quality of the welding of the frame, and they say something like, "Man, if we could start 15 minutes earlier, 
we could do X, Y, and Z. It's a, just a, a verbal process improvement. And you go all the way to the end to the guy that actually gets in the car, starts it, and drives it out onto the lot so it can go onto a train or a, or, or a truck to be shipped to the, to the dealership. And he goes, you know, if everything in this whole place would just move back 15 minutes, this would be easier. Those two people don't even know each other. But you got a 15-minute problem. Mm-hmm. That's not that is not that's not micromanagement or intrusion or or disrespect for all the leaders in between you and that and those people. That is a level of tactical awareness of finding when the cows are lying down to to be able to go move something 15 minutes. Do you know how that reverberates through any organization, anything in life, your church or anything? If the leader hears both of those stories and says, everybody's coming to work 15 minutes early. And we're going to knock off 15 minutes early on the back end. And we're moving it. We're shifting this. If you do, you develop a following. Yeah. Not followers, a following. That's people different. tell people to quit their jobs and come and work for your place. Well, it's like leadership by consciousness and being ah, able to suspend it. your own mental models. And I do a lot of work in mental models, but I'm the first one to say is the you got to look around them and not through them. And right. we all have our belief systems, but it, making breakthroughs in business usually comes from shifting on that level. Yeah. And, and it's also, if you look at some of the best scientific discoveries, a lot of them are really close to making the discovery. And the only way to really get to where they wanted to be was to throw away all the work and start from square one. That's why most breakthroughs come from outside the field. Oh, just, I mean, keep saying that out loud because think about that in your, think about that in your personal growth, your personal development, right? Just oh, yeah. because you're an engineer doesn't mean that you have to have engineers around. Go find somebody that's in human resources and let them shape you. That's right. Go, you have to be open to that stuff. And it's, it's, I understand birds of a feather. There's so many cliche things. I understand it's birds of a feather flock together for one reason, one reason only comfort. Yeah. They don't have to work. That's right. They don't have to have critical conversations. They don't have to learn about diversity. They don't have to, they don't have to open themselves up to, to levels of ignorance that they have so that they can build empathy and building empathy and trust with people that are not group think with you or not, you know, or not your, your bird, bird of your feather is work. It's real work and it's, and it's, and it's, it's helping you evolve as a human. Oh, it's loving we, the pain. Just like you said with uh, the push-ups, got to love the pain. Got to love the pain. Yeah. And what, have, what you, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. I'll, I'll let you finish and, and I'll, I'll go. No, I was just going to say, how many times have you, anything, yeah, this is, sounds like my mother, right? Anything that you'll ever appreciate in life is something that you worked hard for. Somebody hands you, when somebody hands you something, you just don't take good enough care of it. You just That's don't. Right. The real reward is the personal growth. Yeah. Absolutely. So this, this has been awesome. I, I could talk to you forever, but I know we've got right. some constraints. So right. for our listeners, and by the way, if you're listening, I'm going to link to all of Dave's stuff on the episode page on faultleadershipstudio.com. So if you're listening on the app, click the, li click the link in the episode description. It'll take you right there. But for our listeners, Dave, what would be the top three things that you recommend they do that they could take action on right away 
to change your life in a positive direction from your perspective? And second, how would someone reach out to you to get your help, find your book? Sure. Learn about your consulting. Sure. Learn about your speaking. So you gave me three things. Correct. Uh, so <laughs> first, no, that's okay. Uh, and we'll do, I'll get through these quick. So there's a couple things. One is you need to understand what your boundaries are and what is out of bounds. And you need to operate within your boundaries. And you described this earlier. I didn't, I didn't circle back to close the loop on it. You described this earlier. And what is inside of your boundaries is what you can control and where your time and energy are best spent. Things that are outside your boundaries, um, even though they might be interesting or drive emotion in you, are wasted energy and time. So spend your time inside of your boundaries. And that includes um, what point number two is, is really evaluate who's on your teams, on your life team, on your professional team, you know, your professional growth team, your mentorship. Really evaluate who's there. See if they are contributing to where you want to be and what your goals may be or, you know, what your productivity, whatever the whatever is out there, where you want to be. See if they're contributing to that or if they're drawing away from that. And hire and fire on your life team uh, to meet those needs. And remember, friends and especially family do not get a direct pass to being in your inner circle or on your life team. And sometimes those people can be counterproductive. So, so be courageous enough to hire and fire friends and family off of your life team that help you meet your goals. And then the last one is communication and specifically listening. And you need to learn to listen so you can, you need to listen, you need to learn to listen so that you can listen to learn. And this goes with speed limit. Listening is a communication skill that we use the least. Uh, we don't even understand it very well. And, uh, you know, a lot of your work, Chris, where you talk is really based around this because hearing something is like, you know, me clapping my hands really loud. You say, well, I heard somebody clap their hands. But listening to that, you could say, well, didn't he clap twice? And doesn't that mean this? It could mean something. And so you have to process it. And I think we get going so fast and we're on to the next thing that we don't take the time to process what we heard uh, so that we can truly listen. And so there's a learning. You have to learn how to do that. You have to teach yourself how to do that. And it's been a lifelong endeavor of mine because I totally stink at it. I, I think I've gone from an F to maybe a C plus, maybe. <laughs> uh, but I continue to work at it. So I'm kind of proud of myself where I'm at. Most people would say, gosh, you got some work to do. And I'd say, boy, you wish you'd have seen me you know, 15 years ago. So yeah, that's what I'll give you. And then as far as following my stuff, it's easy. You know, www.maxfab, M-A-X-F-A-B, consulting.com. It's all there. Blogs are there. Newsletters there. If you, if you uh, send me a note on the contact page, I'll hook you up uh, with the monthly newsletter. I know you get them. And, uh, and if you don't tell me, but I think you do, I think I've got you on my stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, the newsletters are, are, uh, are fun to write. I try to keep them, keep them light. I think October's issue was respect the great pumpkin. And I took the old peanuts thing and went in a leadership way. Uh, you know, November's veterans day. So we're going to talk, we're going to, obviously we're going to cover that, which is, uh, which is a lot of fun. Uh, the podcast is there, so you can get it. You can go consume some kangaroo leadership stuff with some people that uh, I think are true kangaroo leaders, and obviously the books, and especially the 
the new one. I always recommend people read the first one before the second, and that's not about selling books. That's just the two kind of mesh together, and I think you know that. I can see that. Yeah. Well, it's been great, Dave. I appreciate you. I appreciate you, Chris. Till next time. Till next time. Thought Leadership Studio. Thanks again for listening to Thought Leadership Studio. This has been episode 59, interview with David Nordell on what leaders need to notice. Are your cows lying down? We touched on subjects like empathy versus prepackaged leadership advice, slowing down to go faster, learning from a master storyteller on storytelling, building a live team, and the concept of the state of maximum fabulous. Grace under pressure is what I would call it. So I'm your host, Chris McNeil. I'm a strategic thought leadership consultant and coach. We have a free ebook called The Marketer's Guide to Strategic Thought Leadership. It's a free download. You can get it from the episode page, which is linked to in the episode description if you're listening on an app. If you're on our website, just scroll a little farther down. You'll see it right there. Thanks again for listening. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thought Leadership Studio. Thank mm-hmm. you.